I like to start with like a little intro. Okay. Yeah. So I would start off by saying she's a solo theater performer, performance artist, and actor, using her antics as a mirror to people who perpetrate racial and gender stereotypes. That's how the New York Times describes you. Mm-hmm. I'd like to describe you as someone in her lifetime who has crashed a beauty pageant, married herself, mm-hmm. and recently debated a dog. Yes. I Ladies didn't, and gentlemen, I didn't want to debate against the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about Christina Wong. How are uh, you? I'm great. I'm I'm well. You just took us on a tour of this office, yeah. which uh, is so cool, so well painted. Like there's rooms I could just move a bed into and sleep in. It's so cute. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, um, I, I think a couple of people actually do sleep in. So yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> you know, in the office, it's a pretty big office because we run a like very big operation. 150 people wow. and we don't want people bumping into each other yeah it's yeah. It, this is really amazing it is really it is amazing. so we always just have at the back of our minds that we need to pay the, the office rent every year <laughs> yeah, it's pretty expensive yeah good thing the salespeople are out yeah none of them were in the around. office that was good that was good but how are you i'm good i'm i'm dealing with jet lag and and i'm uh i'm trying to learn as much as i can about where i am in preparation for these uh performances that i'm doing this weekend as part of the lego theater festival and uh and as you can imagine learning about an entire country is very uh in a short amount of time yeah it's not easy because there's so many nuances pretty tedious (laughs) how long was your flight uh, we've been traveling for about, my technician and I have been traveling for about two days. So we took a 20 wow. hour layover in Istanbul. Okay. Uh, we flew from Los Angeles. Wow. wow. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, we've been through a lot of climates and I was trying to read a book about Nigeria on the way over. Which book? It, uh, this present darkness. Okay. Um, Stephen Ellis, right, is the writer. And, and, uh, it's about the history of organized crime in hmm. Nigeria, yet I guess it offers a whole political perspective yeah. yeah i'm only i'm only uh about 20 years of history in so don't quiz me so far <laughs> yeah a lot more to learn but i'm sure you will yeah um so this is your first time in nigeria yeah absolutely what's the first feeling you got when you touched down the weather at the oh. airport how was it like so um the flight was all it was mostly nigerians and the guy next to me well what just when i was boarding there was a man like really behind me really insistent he's like can you move out of the way can you move and take this position and i'm just like why are you in a rush <laughs> like we're Nigerians the, always in the a rush. flight is not gonna take off until we're all city see i'm like squeezed between two lavatories right now yeah but i was just like it's cool it's cool but he was just like so i'm like maybe he's never flown before i don't know and then I think it was actually a different guy on the, uh, when the flight landed that asked the man sitting next to me to move to the side, took his position in front of his seat. And uh, it was so crazy. Then they're arguing. It got really loud. And then the man started to speak in Yoruba. And the, and the other man says, we do not speak Yoruba here. We speak English. And then it became tr- weird and tribal. It was like, you're from so-and-so, aren't you? <laughs> I couldn't remember what he said. And... <laughs> And then they were laughing it off. 
and I was just like, oh, they ended off laughing it off. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Nigeria. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I was like, Welcome I, I think that this, this, this. We feels we like good. we like to have a lot of conversations. They can get pretty loud, yeah. but you know we like to have those conversations. And you know, an example is you know what you just witnessed. At the end of the day, they laughed it off because they just found out that you know what's the big deal. Yeah, what what's the doing? big deal? And you know, uh, we have to wait for the luggage to come down the carousel. Yeah. You have to like, there's so much. Like, I don't know why this guy, and they didn't even open the door. So it's like. <laughs> What are you <laughs> in a rush for? But it reminds me a lot of my, I'm, I'm Chinese American and um, I went to China for the very first time in my life this summer, but like the, the inability to wait in lines. Wait, hold up, you went to China for the first for time? For the first time. Wow. So my grandparents immigrated from China um, to San Francisco. So you're third generation. I'm third generation, yeah. And uh, which I think, you know, I can't even pass for America in, in America <laughs> with other Americans. Like, I think that's, that's, uh, that's sort of an issue I deal with in my work is that Asian Americans are read as perpetually foreign. Like, yeah. oh, you must have just gotten here. Yeah. You don't belong here. Yeah. Uh, when people ask uh, Asian people, like, where are you from originally? It's really shorthand for why aren't you white? Why, mm -hmm. what, are you, why, what are you doing here? Yeah. You, you can't be American. Let me get to the bottom of this. So, um, yeah. So, uh, anyway, the Chinese people cannot seem to wait in line. And I was like, I was noticing a lot of, I've, there are a lot of similarities I've noticed between, really? between Nigerians, Chinese Americans, and Chinese people. Yeah. One is the inability to wait in, <laughs> in line. And if you ever go to Shanghai Disneyland, which I do not recommend, that is like the, the most evidence of where, um, uh, where Chinese and America just bump heads in the worst way. One, because Disneyland is perpetually waiting in lines, which Chinese people are capable of. Yeah. I witnessed children um, defecating and peeing while waiting in these long two-hour lines. Yeah. <laughs> uh, trash everywhere. People like passed out in the bathroom, like the the, the Magic Kingdom castle yeah. in the middle of Disneyland just looks like a FEMA tent. FEMA is <laughs> like a disaster relief yeah. tent, right? You know, just just people just sacked out asleep, yeah. uh, <laughs> trying to get away from the heat. But just like mostly the incapability of, of like, the, you can actually pay people to help you cut in line. Wow. At Shagnai Disney. Sounds so much like Nigeria. And, and hustle-wise, there are people who jump over the fence at Disneyland and sell um, unlicensed bootleg merchandise. Yeah. So you'll be like in this long two-hour line and it'll be a lady like crouched down trying to sell you a fan. And I'm just like, whoa, like so enterprising. <laughs> what are you it, doing? I mean, it's like you're talking about Nigeria. Yeah. It's the same thing. A absolutely. It's the, it's the, I mean, most times, sometimes, you know, these things could be, I would say illegal or like, you know, morally wrong, but you could just see the, how people actually look for opportunities in crisis and chaos, yeah. you know, to actually be, you know, entrepreneurs. So I don't know the woman who's selling, you know, the bootleg thing, it's probably bootleg, but, you know, for like a woman to actually think, oh, in this, you know, chaos or crisis, I can actually, you know, present this opportunity yeah. to this person and if they want to buy it, you know. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. There, There's people selling fans, there are people selling umbrellas. Did your, did your chaperone whisper to you, welcome home? Did I feel welcome home? I was just yeah. like, I, I, Shanghai Disney made me hate being Chinese. Um, you know, otherwise I was very proud of like, or for the most part proud. I, I'm, I will never go there again in July. It's too, <laughs> way too humid. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was definitely like Shanghai Disneyland because Disneyland is like sort of this uh, utopic pretend version of, of uh, post-war America mm -hmm. uh, in a theme park. Yeah. And to just see Chinese 
people like interface with that was like was really kind of profound only for that moment but I did not have fun kind of hated it almost fought you families need, entire need, families you need to go back fights with you need to go back first time experience I think you need to go back and probably you know take you somewhere where you know you don't get to experience all that you kind of relax for the first few days then discover it yourself yeah maybe you need to well yeah that was it, it wasn't the first place I went to think thankfully but um, yeah, I actually had been to uh, I went to Africa before I went to China. Yeah, we're uh, gonna talk about yeah, that and talk about I, your rap album. Yes, <laughs> yeah, we will touch on that. Great. But growing up in San Francisco, how was that like? Um, so San Francisco as a city has a reputation of being a very like uh, now it's shifted because now tech has moved in and it's completely unaffordable. But like at the time when I was growing up, it was uh, it was like during the Vietnam War, all the all, all the hippies flocked to San Francisco. It's where you follow the Grateful Dead and you uh, get in a van, a VW van, and you just leave everything behind and um, just become a hippie and yeah. and uh, and free love. Everyone has just has sex with everybody. So I was living in like the aftermath of that. <laughs> of all that. But as a Chinese American, my experience in San Francisco is like I feel like growing up in. In, in San Francisco as a Chinese American, it's like you live two lives. Like you go into the city and it's all liberal and, and, and people are, this is before marijuana became legalized, everyone's like smoking pot and, and, and freely exploring their sexuality. And then I am in my family home where complete repression, yeah. don't show your stomach, yeah. like <laughs> don't have sex until like after you have your first baby, you know, like <laughs> it's a very different, like it's like living in two worlds at the same time. So, um, and I think that very much informs like how I like make work. Like it was like in, in, in my family home life, it was very repressed, but then I'm in the city where all this wild and crazy stuff is constantly happening. So how did you not integrate yourself? You know, were you existing in both worlds? Oh, I did. I was existing in both worlds. Yeah. I was just, uh, like, I was like completely, um, yeah, I, I was, I think uh, one weird advantage is, is, is like, I felt like I, I very much had my bad girl moments where I, um, I don't know how much detail I'm allowed to go into, <laughs> but I was a bad girl, and uh, but I was also who got great grades, and so you know. Um, but I, I did get in trouble a lot at school for just doing. I went to a Catholic all-girls school, and um, that must have been fun. Oh, uh, for for maybe guys looking onto it, but I I don't know. It was it was also sort of repressive, but I would act out a ton, and and. Um, uh, like uh, I, I, that's where I discovered theater and doing performance. And I would, um, I would do sketches with my friend Sarah uh, for the whole school. And sometimes we would get in trouble because we were being inappropriate in front yeah. of the whole school. Yeah. And um, but the school didn't know what to do with me because I was also a mod like a, also a star student. I want to ask you about school. So okay. I also attended a Catholic school. Okay. And um, you know. You seem to turn out okay. Well, I mean, you know, you too. So. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so um, we would always say, like, the prayer, the Angelus at 12 o'clock, you know, it mm -hmm. was really strict. They were very, 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 very concerned with teaching us the religious laws, the Catholic religious laws. And, I mean, for a family, I don't know if you were very religious, coming from your family. Um, no, we you, weren't. No. So, you know, how were you, you know, how did you take in Christianity? 
you know, did you take these things home to say, Mom, I'm a Christian now, this is what's happening in school, or were they free with it? No. How were you also able so, to balance that? So uh, my family uh, came to America, and they were mostly b Buddhist. My, yeah. my great-grandfather actually founded the first Buddhist temple in San Francisco's Chinatown. But what usually happens is when um, immigrant groups show up in America, um, mo most of the most of the sort of groups that help welcome them in are uh, are usually Christian or, or religious uh, oriented. So it was the Seventh Day Adventists actually uh, welcomed my family in and and had um, like after school programs or just just sort of activities. Uh, and so some of my aunts became Christian. Some like it was in their life. Some of them are are still uh, the the sort of um, the the specific Buddhists that my my great grandfather brought in, uh, but Christianity is pretty prevalent in general. <laughs> and like with by default, like yeah. you end up because there's so many references to the Bible in American literature, yeah. like like it's um, uh, it's just there. So that's so I I uh, went to. Um, uh, kindergarten and a preschool for that was mostly a bilingual Chinese English school it was private school but it had a Christian um, element yeah. to it it was a Christian school and it's called Little Lights um, so it was always like part of my life but I I don't identify as a Christian and and I, th I guess became, if, if I can be quite honest, just increasingly cynical about it. Um, <laughs> but going to Catholic school, I feel like, made, made me feel that way. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so I, yeah, I, I never had to like really come out as Christian. And and, and my, my I, th I think my, I kind of joke my father's too lazy to, to, to take on religion. Like, like if it's between watching football yeah. on Sundays and go to church, he's going to watch football. Yeah. You know, like it's not, but yet his sister is Christian. So that's how sort of Christianity has come into our family. But it's, it's, it's for the most part, most of my cousins um, are, are not religious. And, yeah. and being Chinese in itself is enough of a guilty making kind of, is, 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 is such a reg, it's, it's regimented a way of yeah. living that it's its own weird religion. Does yeah, that make so, sense? Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's enough guilt around that that I don't know if we need to add Catholicness to it. And I was watching one of your, your shows on YouTube and you kind of touched on that where, you know, you you were um, a bit concerned of how you would represent yourself in front of your parents or what they would say yeah. if you actually told them your deepest desires or who you wanted to be or yeah. what you wanted to do. So how were you able to, when was the first time you actually stepped up to them to say, this is who I really am? Yeah, and I this mean, is well, who, or who, this is who, who I want to be. Um, I, so I, when I started discovering performance in high school and, and we, it wasn't the kind of, self-made stuff I make now that's more experimental and really out there. I was just in plays written by mostly what what I call dead white playwrights, right? Like sort of the, the what's considered the American canon, yeah. kind of the sanitized yeah. uh, uh, plays. Um, it was so liberating for me to be somebody else um, because I think I was very much raised to like, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to marry a doctor, you're going to become Miss Chinatown, you're going to have kids who are bilingual. You're Reminds gonna be me of Nigerian parents. <laughs> <laughs> and there's still so many similarities yeah. that I, I'm finding between Nigerians and Chinese Americans. And, um, and, and it was so, like, just to get to be free and play some other character was so liberating, right? And, 
Um, I love theater because it, it gave me a built-in social network and having gone to all-girls school, it was like we did plays with the all-boys school. So it was like, ooh, we get to uh, we get to like socialize with boys. I mean, most of them are gay, but we're not going to find <laughs> out till like years later. Right. But like, it was just like so uh, it was so exciting and liberating. And and um, and so that was like a sort of slow kind of coming out, I guess, to my folks that like I might be an artist. Yeah. Um, but I remember just like just letting them know I'm not going to major in medicine. I'm going to pursue the arts felt very frightening. Yeah. Like they've worked their whole life to make sure I can get to college. And, you know, it's a very risky thing to go major in the arts, did you major in? No, I, uh, I studied mathematics. Oh my God, you're a good son. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, not really, because my, my story is different. My dad was um, an electrical electronics oh, wow. engineer. I wanted me to be a civil engineer. My mom wanted me to be a pilot. Then she wanted me to be an architect. Uh -huh. You know, but um, coming from like junior high school, I was really good in all subjects, but yeah. I really liked the arts. Yeah. But in Nigeria, if you're really brilliant or you have this flash of brilliance, they think you're going to be a science student. So they just throw you in there. Yeah. So like right from my senior high school, I started failing at the science subjects, like yeah. chemistry and physics. I, was I, in, I wasn't good at it, but because I have this ability to cram. So what <laughs> I do is I read the textbook and I can literally cram everything, then take out the numbers and impute new numbers but because mm -hmm. i understand the process yeah i can still so that's how yeah. i was passing so i got to a point where it was now like civil engineering and i yeah. couldn't do it i was really i was really good at science and math too for a while but it was like the last couple of years of high school i was slipping and then i was just like i couldn't imagine like i don't want to be that doctor yeah. that that, <laughs> forgets the, that's on the forgets table the and in, because yeah. I was good at cramming but not good at retaining it after the test. No, like after, I, after the test is gone. Yeah, it's yeah, like, it's like who wants me to work on their liver if I can't remember, you know, yeah. like where your liver is? Yeah, I only memorized cramps. it for that one particular yeah. <laughs> like exam. And so that I think that part of, you know, I was I was being responsible. I didn't want to. But little did I know that there would be marijuana doctors, <laughs> in, I believe, that are the ones who graduated in the back of the class. <laughs> I could have been a great marijuana doctor. Yeah, it's like, know, what do you got? Glaucoma, Legalized in how many states now? You know? Yeah, so many states. And, like, they just hand out yeah. prescriptions. Yeah. I could have been a good marijuana doctor. But, um, but yeah. anyway, that, was my, that would have been my calling as a doctor. Instead, I became a performance artist. Um, and so, so my question <laughs> now is, when did you figure out, I mean... Young kid, born in America, uh -huh. you know, probably like, you know, consumed a lot of pop culture, American pop culture oh, like yeah. we talked about. But when was the first time you kind of figured, you know, you you were Chinese American and not just, you know, where you got that sense of, am I different? Um, I think I always knew I was Chinese in San Francisco, but I it's not till I, uh, for me, when I, I moved away from San Francisco and went to... Los Angeles for college, which is a five-hour drive away, and and um, I guess I was never really taught to kind of question authority or question sort of racist moments I'd encounter, though I definitely experienced them. And I think that's a very Chinese way, and possibly very Nigerian way, is that like you just you sort of experience these things and you keep it going, swallow right? it, and yeah. you keep it going, right? You, like you don't like go. I'm going to overthrow the government. I'm going to like I'm going to shut everything down. Yeah. Or, um, and you know, I, I I did notice that I would get away with things um, in high school. Like I said, I was I was I was both a good girl and a bad girl, and I think it's because 
in a weird way, I don't look like, I don't have the face of the student who misbehaves a lot, yeah, you right? Have, like, yeah, I'm still you a good You have student. a goody two-shoes. Yeah, that, that, like, I, I can walk into a public situation and people don't, won't look at me and go, oh, she's going to do something bad, you know? <laughs> and so I, that's where I began to know, notice when I could get away with things, the way that maybe my black classmates could not, right? Um, and uh, I, 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 I think in college, um, you know, when I'm pulled away from my family and away from the, like, the week to week of being around my family and understanding where I was different and, and fielding questions that people had and people who are not just from San Francisco and yeah. had heavily, like I just assumed everyone lived in a community with tons of Chinese people. Yeah. Um, uh, I assumed that the other Chinese people I met uh, would not be able to speak Chinese either, right? Because yeah. aren't we all third generation Chinese American? Yeah. And people were like s recent immigrants and, and um, uh, first generation Chinese Americans were like, horrified that I didn't speak Chinese and or you know wasn't fluent in it and I was like what I thought we all lost this after yeah. a while and yeah. I, that made me feel guilty and and weird and um and I would straight up go to parties at college and and, and white guys would come up to me and go I love Asian women and I was like that's so gross yeah. right and I, I didn't I, I remember there was a time in high school when I experienced the same thing but like was so desperate to have anybody like me that I was like oh yay I have a chance, and then, you know, like you. You go, wait, this is this is kind of horrible, and <laughs> and it's horrible that they can come up to me as if I don't, you know, I'm, I don't exist, or I'm just sort of disposable or collectible, and um, and and then begin to confront social justice movements, and or learn about those movements, and learn about campus activism, yeah. and, and that's uh, when I really began to realize how how much I just sort of accepted or was ashamed of. And, and, and that's, that's sort of where my um, anger started, but, but, but where I began to, I guess, yes, anger. The first year I got really angry uh, of college because I was just was like, I can't believe I just let all this happen all these years and never really spoke up. But I didn't have a vocabulary to articulate, hey, yeah. that's wrong. Why did you just say that to me? Or, or, or you know, whatever. So. Yeah. So your time at UCLA, melting pot of different people, right? Yeah. You're beginning to find out that, okay, um, um, how people perceive you, how people perceive Chinese Americans, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm a bit different. And I use the word different very loosely here. Yeah. Because, um, but, you know, um, they, they kind of put you in a box. So they put yeah. black people in a box, they put Asians in a box. Yeah. I mean, they don't even know the difference between a Japanese and a, a Chinese. <laughs> and, you know, and they just say, oh, you're Asian or wherever, yeah. you know. And... When do you come to the realization that you need to start using your platform or create a platform to start, you know, talking about these things? First of all, even just highlighting it and just having sure. the discussion. Well, I'll be, yeah, I'll be more honest than I've been with most <laughs> reporters. So, so that very first year I described getting really angry and so mad that... I, I was like, oh my God, I've been colonized. I'm the byproduct of colonization. I'm, I'm, uh, I've, uh, I've been taught to accept certain gender roles. I've been, um, 
uh, people don't think I people don't take me seriously when I try to merge as a leader in a room because they think that I should that that's something I don't want. Um, people don't there there are fewer opportunities I have as an actor because of the race I have and what roles are available. And it was just so overwhelming, so angry, and that I actually got an ulcer. Like it just wow. that anger, like my my just stomach just hurt, and um, and and I was like, what? what is the point of harboring this anger and holding this anger because it's like it's like my like all these oppressions have gotten me twice one it, it has affected me and then secondly it's gotten me this mad and and, and if I don't want to be a prisoner of my own anger so I uh, I, I just I started uh, doing performance with performance groups. There was an Asian American theater company on, on my campus that I, I did work with, but I also loved performance art, this more abstract perf uh, genre of performance. And that to me was my therapy. Because I was, I did try seeing a, a yeah, we're, therapist we're at I UCLA. I, I, yeah, yeah. I did try to see a therapist. Yeah. And the thing about seeing a therapist at UCLA, at least like it's changed now, but uh, they have a free therapist, but you can, there's usually a waiting line because so many kids want to see the yeah. therapist and you can only see eight sessions for free and then then start to charge you. So yeah. there's a, you're under this pressure to both audition your yourself to present yourself as like, a kid. It's like, listen, I'm more depressed than yeah. the other person. I mean, I watched, I, I watched your video on YouTube and oh. I think it's one of the strongest performances and it's oh, wasn't really a performance. It was, it was, um, Once over the cuckoo's nest, which it is was, no, question. I mean, it was you living your truth. And I think, yeah. you know, um, I shared the video this, um, yesterday actually with um, a couple of friends who I know are going through depression. Oh, and wow, yeah, thank because you. depression in Nigeria, people don't um, even recognize it. People mm -hmm. don't want to recognize it. And a lot of people are going through depression. That is very Chinese and um, the Generation yes. Z, that's the generation after me, I believe, yeah. are, I think, you know, the ones who are suffering from a lot of depression. Yeah. And, you know, for and why we think that is because they don't necessarily hide it. Um, our parents, my parents, I'm 32, my parents... Yeah. Probably, you know, my dad probably went through depression when he lost his job. Yeah. He had a partial stroke, you know. Yeah. I could tell, but he couldn't discuss it. So it's kind of an African or Nigerian thing for people not to discuss it. And um, It's very Chinese-American and not, it's very taboo yeah. to discuss it. The idea why, of why do you it. think so? Oh, I could tell so many reasons. I think because um, if, if there is someone in your... Well, one, um, you wouldn't go see, seek help, or, or help at least in the Western sense, which the way it exists is a therapist. Um, the idea of, for a Chinese American of my mother's generation or my grandmother's generation, oh, I'm going to pay a stranger $150 an hour. To tell all my secrets. To tell all my secrets. That's crazy, right? Because they, they ran from communism. Like, you don't, like, you start telling public people your secrets, the fear is that they'll go use it tell your employer, you. use it against you. Um, somehow get you like run out of the country, you know, like Chinese Chinese Americans of my grandmother's generation, my grandparents' generation are, are very scared of of any kind of secret being used against them, right? So so there's that. Yeah. Um, there's the the uh, we don't tell people, we don't let everyone know our business because they'll let someone know, and then we'll look like failures as your parents. Mm. We will look like we did a bad job. Um, uh, there are stories that I've heard in the last few years of, uh, of people who kill themselves, Chinese Americans or Asian Americans who, who have taken their lives and their families being so embarrassed, so ashamed. They don't become advocates against suicide. They yeah. hide the existence that that person existed. That, that, so I've, I've heard stories of people who had no idea they had an older brother 
Wow. Because that family managed to hide all the, the photos thing, yeah. of the older brother when he killed himself, you know. Um, uh, so the shame thing is huge. It's how uh, it's how I was raised on shame and guilt, and I, I feel like it was a great motivator to get make me a better student. But if I have children or or you know am in a position to move forward i it, it was a hard thing like there's sort of an anti-shamey movement in america like don't body shame me don't yeah, shame yeah, me and yeah, I'm, yeah. i was really don't surprised by this. Yeah. don't victim like and and i would uh when i rehearsed for about anti-shaming i'm like oh but wait i was raised on shame. <laughs> so, my whole wait, life huh <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this is wrong yeah so and it, and it is wrong, but it's 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 a very difficult thing to go. Well, how do you how do you teach otherwise, mm. right? If if it's what we know. And, and and you know, in in your video and your presentation, which I said was powerful, um, you also mentioned that the therapist was sort of tone deaf. Yeah. 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 And do you think it's like a major problem? Do you think it was because of your race? Do you think what do you think made the therapist tone deaf when um, you were, you know, expressing yourself? Yeah. So your, I describe uh, having a white male therapist, and and uh, I mean, what really happened in real life is I felt like I'm trying to describe my me grappling with racism to a white guy, yeah. and I now feel like I have to be gentle to not hurt his feelings about this yeah. and then i'm also self-conscious that when he asks questions like are your parents immigrants that that maybe he has read some study about yeah. children of immigrants and he's placing me in this box of like okay i'm talking to an, an asian woman this so is this is how this i have to say but i want him to address me as, as me. a human being um but also be sensitive to the fact that like you know so it's like it's it's i feel like i'm trying to over dance and, 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 and be hyper aware of how, how he's reading me. And this is not allowing me to have therapy if I don't know that I can totally trust him and I don't get, know if he completely gets who I am, if he's just reading some study. There's, I mean, there's definitely a lack of cultural competency with, with, ther yeah. with, with therapy, right? So, I mean, what now came to your mind? How <laughs> do you now think, okay, if I, you know, exaggerate or color my problems, I think he would understand me more. Why did you come to that conclusion? Well, I, yeah, I felt like in a therapist's office, I felt like this, I'm on a one-on-one -on -one performance. <laughs> and, and I'm literally putting on a show for this guy. And maybe if I cry more, he'll understand how severe this is. And I mean, what, was, what made clear for me is when I ran out my, my minimum eight appointments, my free appointments at UCLA, I just moved on my life and, and made shows that that actually made me feel better because at least I could see an audience. Like, this guy was not reacting. It was like performing for the worst audience ever. Just yeah. sort of stare at me and then, okay, I'll see you next week. And I'm like, God, I got to do this again? Did you, did you have this the conversation with him, though? Did you have the conversation and say, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm going no, through? No, because I didn't, I, I didn't, this is another thing is, uh, as a Chinese American who didn't really get what therapy was, I just saw therapists on TV. I just thought, okay, I tell you my problems, you tell me how to fix it. Yeah. So when he didn't tell me how to fix it, I was like, well, maybe I need to just amp it up, like play up the drama, like work the tears some more, mm -hmm. and, and maybe this will uh, get him to come up with an answer. Yeah. And, and it wasn't. Yeah, was it, <laughs> it wasn't working. <laughs> so, I mean, you did what, you know, your, your mind told you to do. Performance arts, you went there, yeah. you know, on those platforms and used those platforms to express yourself. Yeah, it, it felt so much more effective because it's like, oh, my parents are at the show. 
so they can literally hear. Like, I have more honest conversations with my family when they're in the audience of my shows wow. than when we are sitting at a table together. And uh, because when we're at the table together, I feel like I'm just being, I'm talking to a parole officer. Like, okay, uh, how's your house? No damage. <laughs> Uh, how's work? Yeah, good. Like it's just conversations. Things, it's it, we don't talk about our feelings you, at the table. You, 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 you remind me. I mean, reminds me of Nigerian parents. Wow. There's so many similarities. You there know. are so many. Um, so I lost my dad um, five years ago, oh, and when I did, that. I was like the strongest man in the house. So I made sure the burial happened, you know. And if you know when you lose like the head of the family, it's pretty mm -hmm. tough, you know. Um, the brothers come in, they want to make the decisions, you know, um, the widow is not like the helpless person, you know, so we went through all that and I didn't, you know, shed a tear, you know, my brother cried, my sister cried, everybody cried, I was strong, everything, and about, you know, like three years later, it started getting to me, you mm -hmm. know, and I wouldn't say it was depression, I'll just call it like anxiety attacks. Would I go through the same thing my dad went through, you know? Mm -hmm. um, everything was so good for him in his life, then some things happened, is that what's happening to me? Is this the same pattern? Then you start to get these anxiety attacks. And this led to me not necessarily communicating with my family. Because when I did, all it reminded me was about my dad, you know? Wow. So I ended up having the conversation with my mom, say, man, I think this was a bit of depression, some anxiety attacks and all that. Yeah. And she said, what do you mean by that? You know, just pray to God. God will yeah. solve it. <laughs> you know, so, you know, in just in my head, I just figured that, you know, this generation or that generation, they don't get it. Yeah. You well, know, the, so in Nigeria, it's either God or yeah. other people will say, oh, you're a man. How can you have feeling? Yeah. What is wrong with you? Would you man up? And I think that's what they do, like, with the black men, even in, like, you know, um, yeah. Western mm -hmm. culture. It's the same thing where... Men are meant to be really strong, or people are meant to be strong and shouldn't, you know, have these soft feelings. What yeah. are all these things about? I think definitely our generation, both in Nigeria and America, there's so many choices about who we can be, right? And that's, it's, uh, some people think it's a bad thing, like, well, what about, what happened to religion? Or what happened to women just being women? And uh, I think it's a fantastic thing. We have all these opportunities, but I, it, we have to now navigate this anxiety of like, well, who am I? Now that I have a, some choice about who I'd like to be, I have to step into that. Yeah. And what do I choose? Like for me, it was like, I want to be an artist. It's not a guaranteed kind of career I can have. That was a lot of anxiety to navigate. Um, and then it was like, oh, well now I'm disappointing my parents. Now, I'm, But like, if I was born in my mom's generation, there was probably just two options. I had to pick one. Yeah. And there was, uh, I, th I also, I don't know if this is true with Nigerians, but I, f I feel personally that Chinese people are not raised to be happy we're raised to be successful and that's supposed to somehow equate into happiness and that's, that's that's definitely one of my talking points <laughs> <laughs> you know but i want to stick with uh, with uh, race and i was going to you know ask mm -hmm. about r race and gender bias what pisses you off the most oh, race and gender oh Racial one or the bias? other yeah geez i don't know i think race. <laughs> i think gender bias is just so uh, yeah, they're both awful. Can they be? Can they be tied? Yeah, but I think <laughs> I think I think gender bias even cuts through, you know, all races. Yeah. You know, because when you're done with race, you, you still have gender bias. Because yeah. even the men, you've literally just liberated, right? Mm -hmm. Still feel, you know, the women should probably be in the kitchen yeah. or should know their roles. So as a lady, you know, uh, a woman in this comedic space, how have you been able to like break those barriers or you know? you know, step out of that box? Uh, I think I'm still 
learning how to step out of the box. Like I most, I work mostly in theaters. I will say of the theater world versus the straight mainstream commercial comedy world yeah. is the theater world is much more interested in conversations about equity, whereas comedy is more bottom line. It's shifting very rapidly. I think the, the comedians that we see taking um, the commercial stages are now becoming much more diverse. Yeah. It was very much more a white man's game, a very drunk audience yeah. kind of yeah. game. And, and theater, that's why I mostly did my comedy in theaters because those audiences are much more patient, uh, and, and the people presenting me were much more interested in politics. But now I see a lot more politics making it to, to comedy stages. Yeah. We're kind of like in an urgent time where we have to yeah. address it. If you're not addressing it, then something like really wrong. something's really wrong with you as a comedian. So, I mean, you graduated from, graduated from UCLA. Um, how was it like coming back to do that speech? Oh, you should, so you're referencing a speech I just recently did that yeah. I put on YouTube yeah. where I talked about uh, I gave away my biggest secret yeah. to 8,000 incoming students at UCLA, which is that I once went to therapy, which yeah. I actually had kept a secret for many years. It was amazing. It was like a weird redemption moment to like stand in front of a, a huge stadium. 8,000 people? Yeah. Wow. And and describe to them, listen, I, I was so embarrassed about going to therapy when I was in college. Like I would, I would do, wear these, uh, do these weird routes to the office so that no one would see me. and. And I, if I did tell people I was going, I was like, please don't tell anybody. Because it was that embarrassing. Even a, It just sort of made it sound like I'm nuts. I can't control myself. I have to go mm -hmm. see anybody. Now, now lots of people I know are going. And I think that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, it was really redeeming. What was amazing, too, was just connecting to 18-year-old uh, Asian-American students who like were coming to me in tears. Like They, they wow. just were starting their first year of school. And not tears like like... The tears that they could relate to it and and um, that, that nobody was addressing it in their families too and so it was like so great to hear that someone else had gone and the moral of my story wasn't necessarily go it's great it was this kind of was awful like <laughs> I got nothing out of it and I ended up becoming an artist instead <laughs> and uh, and not to bad mouth not to say don't go but um, it might not be you know the be all end all of, mm -hmm. of where you find your wellness and your mental health why do people choose being successful or why do people like a vast majority of people uh, uh, regard being successful better than being happy i don't know because they're chinese because chinese <laughs> and nigerians are most of the planet i don't i don't know <laughs> i think it's like i think it's way more than you <laughs> know that catch me well there. i i think there's definitely something be said about being secure in your life um you know my my uh, grandparents did not grow up with well, on one side, they, they were secure and then they lost everything and then had to come to San Francisco and then work in a butcher shop. It's like, who would want to like just, oh, we're just, we're just going to be artists. Let's just train. Like, yeah. That's frightening. That, that was, that was backbreaking labor. And, and, and all they wanted is just the sense that their kids would be secure. Right. And, um, and I feel like it's harder, you know, I, I did not grow up directly affected by a war or, you know, losing my ho the home I grew up in. Like, it was very stable, pretty much, what I grew up in. So it was okay, in that sense, for me to pursue art um, and, and, to, and to want to do other things. But I, I can see how my parents' generation was like, I don't want, I don't want you to yeah. suffer <laughs> the way I did. And in ways, you know, uh, there is a lot of pr precarity around this line of business, right? It's, 
I'm not a multimillionaire comedian. Oh, you're uh, not? I'm not. Oh, really? Me sitting here, right here. Can you believe it? I this was check, checking Celebrity Network then. <laughs> That's and else. I was not even on that, that fake website, <laughs> Celebrity Net Worth, which I think is a bunch of BS, that <laughs> website. But anyway, but yeah, um, yeah, I think, I think this is, this is something we'll rather just be secure and know that there's food at night and a place to sleep. And why wouldn't that make you happy? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we live in times where joy is measured in, in other ways. And, and those possibilities exist that it's not that being fed and housed might not just be enough, but also having some form of self-expression. Would you be happy if you weren't successful? Uh, would I be happy if I was not successful? No. Okay. No, no, I definitely has. I, I, I think it wasn't until I was about 28 when I did Wong Fu over the cuckoo's nest and I was actually finally able to make a, like a living financially just as an artist and not have to constantly look behind my back and go, oh, do I need a side job or side hustle? And that's, that's when I finally felt happy. But also that has a lot to do with my upbringing and that success is measured for sure on can you make money at it? For some folks, it's not. And I, I have friends who don't make full-time living as artists, and they're happy getting to, to do art when they, they do. And I, I don't advise to other young artists. Like I say, if you don't feel like success is measured on you making a, a living on this, then just do something else and do art on the side because you will drive yourself. Like, it, this is insane, a crazy mm. road to make a full-time living as an artist. So, you know, we talk about a lot of racial bias in like Hollywood, talk mm-hmm. a lot of r- racial bias at the workplace and, you know, and most times it's actually, you know, um, championed a lot by the African-American societies, mm-hmm. black societies. Where do like Chinese Americans, you know, and Asians in general, where do you also like sit in this whole? Yeah, um, I know uh Asian Americans in in Hollywood are definitely looking to the success of movies like Black Panther. We look a lot to the success of 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 Black Hollywood as we try to figure out how are we supposed to move ahead in the same way. Um, uh, I I don't know. I think we are we still have such a long way to go. Um, we th- there's. Uh, last year there were two sitcoms on the air that had Asian American families as a cast and that's like mind-blowing and before that it was 20 years ago when Margaret Cho had her sitcom right so it's like and we're constantly introducing ourselves to America like Margaret Cho's sitcom was called All American Girl and it was like hey we're a family we just got here and then (laughs) fresh off the boat hey we just got here and it's like when when can we stop introducing the fact that we just got here and just be like here with stories and whatever Um, and that's probably why I work a lot in theaters because it's I I did actually have a television pilot um, last year a reality TV pilot with a network called True TV uh, they ended up not buying it, but um, yeah, it w- I was just like, man, this is a lot. This is hard. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> really hard to yeah. get any network to take me seriously. And you know, it, it, we had hired some writers on the sitcom, and one of them, it was a white writer, very cool, but she was she wrote this whole uh, monologue for me, going as the child of immigrants, and I was like, whoa, whoa, you know, <laughs> I've gone down. through this with you. <laughs> My parents are not immigrants, but like that's. That's the notion. Not, and I'm not ashamed of the fact if they were immigrants, I wouldn't be ashamed of it. But it's like they're not. I, I yeah, they're not. And and um, but I, I think it's this thing where they f- where we 
where, where it's felt that like in order to get other Asian audiences to relate to me, I have to show my immigrant mom street cred or something. Um, that it's like so, it's so unfathomable, even to other Asian Americans, that that I my family could have been here this long because our stories just aren't reflected. Yeah. So I mean, you've grown up, you know, mm -hmm. you're in America. You you know you've you've created this platform. You have this you know interesting showcases you've done, quite inspiring. You've talked, uh, uh, you know, you've talked out um, against, you know, racial bias. Then you travel to Uganda yeah. and you're regarded as a white person. Yes. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you, you're on the other side. You've done huh. good research. <laughs> um, yeah. How did that feel? So five years ago, I went to northern Uganda to do volunteer work and research a show that I'm doing now called the Wall Street Journal. And right before I left, I was getting in like... I was getting in fights online with, with people. I was like, you're being racist. You're being racist. And then I show up in Uganda where there's no concept of what a Chinese American is, certainly not a third generation Chinese American. And I'm regarded, regarded as a Mzungu, which is the Swahili word for white person. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Ugandans are casually referring to my white skin. And, uh, and I felt like the colonial presence in the room. Um, I felt super awkward and, and white and, and not sure what to do. And I felt like the most, like people just wanted to meet me just because Take I, pictures. I was white and, and wanted to touch my hair and <laughs> like, and I was, uh, and I felt like people gave me power that I didn't need to have. I, uh, the, the first day I showed up to volunteer, they were like, you're gonna judge our Women for Peace Awards ceremony. And I'm like, whoa, 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 I have no context for what makes a qualified winner. And they're like, well, you're an outsider and so you have no bias. I'm like, you wanna bet? Like, I, don't, <laughs> I, have, I have no idea you know, why you think I'm qualified to do this and present the award. Uh, only that I have this like authoritative American identity about me. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I met these guys on the street at a food stand and they invited me into their music studio and I like in the middle of the night followed these boys into a dark room. Yeah, and, and I heard recorded the album. A, yeah, I recorded Mzungu an album Price. called Mzungu Price. Yeah. And you know, a part of me would like to think that they saw me and they went, this is a 35 year old woman has an innate gift for hip hop. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was that I represented someone with, with access to resources, the outside world. Yeah. You know, and they got really lucky that they, <laughs> that they, that they met me because I was working on a show and have now performed the music. Maybe not like Beyonce performs music, yeah. but I have performed it, you know, in, in the U.S. and Canada and now Nigeria. But, I mean, how were you guys able to record five tracks like overnight? Three weeks. Three weeks. Oh, it was three weeks. weeks. Okay, yeah. Right. Uh, over three weeks. But we did record the first track. They... They just work really like it defied the laws of African time, you know, like <laughs> whereas like all the volunteer work I do during the day, we'd be waiting for the electricity to turn on mm -hmm. and we'd be like trying to like twiddling our thumbs, trying to figure out what to do next. Like I would go to the studio at night and just pump it. like all the tweets that I had nowhere to tweet would just make its way. Into yeah. In was this your album. first time? Was, was that your first time it on the continent? Very first time on the continent. Uh, yeah. And I mean, this is my so second time. So going to Uganda, what what was your perception of Africa before you went? <laughs> and I watched, I watched. Um, you watched some of the clips from the. Yeah, no, I watched one of your showcase where you actually, you know, talked about which was fantastic, by the way, where you talked about, and we're going to speak about that. So um, change, you know, pushing for change on social media. Yeah. You know, and you know, after you've oh, thrown all the, the you know, yeah. thrown all the hashtags and they threw all the retweets back, 
then you go and say, you know what, how do I now move out? Okay, I'm going to Africa. Yeah. This is my perception of Africa. Yeah, um, I mean, most of it as I, you know, I would like to think that I'm woke enough that I, I, I knew that it was not a monolith, that, that it's impossible for any American to show up and save a country in three weeks. And I, um, and I had read enough that to know, okay, yes, like, uh, not not everybody is starving, <laughs> but it's hard to not erase a lot of those images. Um, because that's the only thing projected to you. Yeah, it was not the only thing, but um, I I will say that a lot. I mean, I I sort of paint in the show how I do know a lot of the countries mostly because celebrities have gone there to adopt a kid. I know about Malawi because Madonna adopted her kid there. Yeah. I know about Ethiopia because of the We Are the World album, but but so much of the context that most Americans have for Africa is this paternalist, these paternalistic images of we have to save them, we have to sponsor a child, we've got to send them shoes, Tom's shoes, uh, and even like American playwrights that have written dramas that have won big awards, drama set in Africa usually points to the most like crisis moment yeah. stuff like uh, Ruin by Lynn Nottage which I think won the Pulitzer or was a uh, contender for the Pulitzer is like about mineral conflicts in the Congo and a warlord's coming and everyone's about to get raped you know I, I mean this is a very broad <laughs> summary <Yeah>. of, <laughs> of it but like it's hard to not think oh my god is this, is this all that happens here? Is all this happens is constant chaos and sadness and um and why are so many missionaries going down there? And um, but we're we're clearly getting like you know the worst feeds imaginable. And um, so yeah, so I I knew I had been doing reading beforehand. I knew uh, that it would be much more complex, but I um, I didn't realize oh the the civil war that I'm reading about didn't. In f didn't like affect the entire country. It was yeah. actually isolated just in northern Uganda. Yeah. Um, but the way I was reading about it um, and from yeah. watching things like a Kony 2012 video, you'd be like, yeah. oh man, yeah. oh man, they need us. They need us to help them. <laughs> context is everything. It context is everything. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I'm still unlearning, you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm still having to reframe in a lot of the task I was left with when I was trying to, you know, a lot of uh, me just going was was having to listen to family members and friends reflect back on me what they thought was going to happen. Be like, how many times do people <laughs> need to tell you to be careful before you're like, wait, is something wrong yeah. here? Um, and even the woman like who I had conversations with who runs the NG runs the NGO was like, you got to bring protein bars and <laughs> peanut butter. And I'm like, is yeah, there no and, food? And like spray, spray, you know, um, the bug spray. Well, yeah. that, that's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I'm like Chinese, walking Chinese food. Yeah. yeah mosquitoes are yeah, yeah. like, woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, I would, I'm just like, is there no food on this <laughs> continent? Bring toilet paper. Oh my God. You know, so, and there were moments that didn't match up to, to like images I'd seen. And then there are many that did not. Um, and I felt very ashamed of myself um, for having bought into those images and uh, what, what Americans call white guilt. I was like, whoa, this is what white guilt feels like. Like, oh, I just want to now I want to help people even more. But that's not what's useful. Like and help has to look like I think if everything and any, anything, the, the trip really 
had me looking at, okay, so <laughs> it's not helpful to just drop off a bunch of old clothes or just just pump money, you know, blindly into an effect, uh, affected area. Um, I have to think about like, how do I responsibly work with folks if I do have resources? And, and that became most apparent in my relationship with the rappers, like, like after the fact. They asked me to sponsor a studio and I was like, oh no, I knew there was a catch here. Yeah. And, and then the producer Nario said, I will call it Wong Records. And my brain just lit up because I was like, oh my God, I, I get to be the, the um, uh, it could be like the ice, the, the Dr. Dre yeah. of Northern Uganda. Yeah, you know. Uh, but then that became sort of a micro, microcosm of what it looks like when an NG shows up in any country. And, and they're like, you, you all need clothes, you need shoes. You need, because basically he got fired from his, Nario got fired from his job because his boss, who worked at the music studio is like, why are you gonna bring a competing, competing studio with this wow. Mzungu's money? Then the other rappers are coming to me going, why don't I get a studio? Like, why are you giving gifts to Nerio, not to me? And here I'm like, oh, I thought you would all just share the studio. Yeah, then it becomes more complex. It becomes so complicated. And then I was like, wait, how much, how much money am I gonna have to pump into this studio? Like, what is my obligation to the studio? Yeah. What if they make really sexist music? Like, I don't want my name on that, you mm -hmm. know? And, and I'm like, oh no, this is a <laughs> Warm mess. Records. This is a mess. So we've come to a great, uh, Nario has his own studio now. We're, we're in a, I think we have a, a good business relationship that's not, the word sponsor to me, I'm like, I keep saying, you know, I'm not a sponsor, we have a business relationship. Yeah. When, when I tour a show and make money, I'll give you a royalty yeah. for the work that, that you created that I profit off of. Yeah. And, and to me, that's, those are the kind of relationships um, we should be building. We should be building, not, yeah. not like, you know, yeah. what do you need now? And, or let me tell you what to make. I don't yeah. want to dictate what kind of music he makes. You know? I see you've watched Black Panther. I saw your picture, the yes. picture on, um, on Instagram. I did. Um, what's, what was your biggest takeaway from the movie? Uh, I, um, I, well, someone said it very well on Facebook, and I really resonated with it, like to see how well that movie did and how how exciting it was for people to see, you know, even though it's a fictitious country, to see Africa on stage and that many black faces on stage was, um, it was just so inspiring because it's just like, yes, we can, like, I say we as we of people of color, people you haven't seen before. Like I, there was, there's not many Chinese people, they, they have a scene in Korea, but like, but, but for, for, for a lot of Chinese Americans, it was really exciting to see Chinese Americans in Hollywood because it's like, look, people who you never thought could sell movies and bring audiences can, can completely like um, own into like, a, 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 like an African nationalism and, yeah. and, 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 and sell tickets. So don't you think the rest of us should get a chance? Yeah. You know, so that's what was really this great takeaway. And think about all the stories that we've been missing over the years, all the movies and that the, all the stories that have been relegated to small independent films that didn't get enough money to really succeed or have just been like like me, just like on a stage playing for small live audiences at a time. Like, can you imagine if, if the Wall Street Journal had, like I'm gonna say, yeah. say this for me, can I imagine if the Wall Street Journal or Wong Blur the Cuckoo's Nest had big money to be screenplay productions to play for movies, like the impact that could have. Yeah. Um, it was just also awesome. I, I didn't go to a Hollywood screening of it, like with celebrities. I just went to a screening 
in Calabasas, where the Kardashians live. And, and there were like all these black audience members who came like dressed royally, tribal dress. That was so exciting. Was like it was such it was a, a great huge, decolonization. It was a huge deal in Lagos. A, Everybody yeah. went in their traditional attires. I yeah, I wore it. my Ugandan dress and my yeah. Chinese New Year jacket. I was like, came at it. I watched it once. <laughs> yeah, I might go in and watch it again. It's yeah. really exciting. Let's talk about gender bias. And I want to start off with um, asking for all your thoughts on Monique. So I don't know if you've been following. You have to tell me who. You know, what's. So she, she, Monique's a comedian. She's oh. a black actress. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah she Monique. She did the movie yeah. Precious. Yes, and she, she also hosted Charm School, which was the spinoff of Flavor of Love, which is a very trashy reality show. Oh, I never watched it. That's, that we <laughs> probably that's what I never watched. I know what you're talking about, Monique. Yeah, yeah what did so Monique do? So she um, she released a statement, was a video statement that people should boycott Netflix. Oh. You know, um, for racial and gender bias because they offered her $500,000 for her show and she wanted more. Oh. She said Dave Chappelle is getting, Amy Schumer is getting, oh. I think, 13 million. Um, Dave Chappelle is getting like a lot of money. Chris Rock is getting a lot of money. Why would they offer her 500000 mm -hmm. And so a group of people actually think she's weaponizing Mm -hmm. racial and gender bias to push her narrative. Yeah. So I, I thought you knew about it and I wanted to hear I it didn't like know about that. And that's actually surprising because I feel like Netflix is pushing some very diverse content. In turn. Um, there is a gender pay gap between uh, male and female for sure. entertainers. For sure. That's, a, that's no doubt. I don't know that it calls for a boycott, but... Uh, And it's tricky because I, when I think of Monique, I don't really. Well, I mean, a care lot of for her comment, her stand up yeah, as much as her acting. A lot acting, of people you know? even say, you know, Monique, maybe you're not that hot right now yeah. for you to, you know, ask for more for money. I mean, you could much. always renegotiate. That's a but that's a significant amount from yeah. Netflix. I know comedians who I personally know comedians who've sold stuff to Netflix for much less. Yeah. So I'm you like, know. well, shit, I'd take it. Yeah. But <laughs> so, so you know, um, I mean, people were like, you can't, you can't call for a boycott because mm. if you say it's racial bias, I mean, there are women who have shows on Netflix. Amy Schumer has a show on Netflix. People yeah. have shows on Netflix. If it's, uh, I mean, if it's racial, you have Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock. Chris Rock just drops his new yeah. stand-up special, Tambourine. You know, so what do you think about people? Because everybody's trigger happy and they call it gaslighting right yeah. where you know um you might not particularly be particularly be right about a topic mm -hmm. but you pick on or you use you weaponize gender and racial bias to push your narrative even, even though it's you're very, wrong yes it's a very tricky thing and i i i would say if you are ready to use that as a i i will never i will never deny except in very clear explicit situations that you know that a that a woman has experienced harassment or that a woman is being discriminated against but i would say to them like if you're going to use it be ready to back it up um because you 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 could put out a lot of us who <laughs> who, who, who need this movement like me too, me too is such a, use it as a platform, yeah who yeah. really need this as a platform and um you know, because uh, the unfortunate thing is people will immediately call you on it and go, well, you're just being greedy or or you're actually not that famous. And, and people have done that to me, not for half a million dollar Netflix deals, but for like I got in a spiff with um, an actor named James Franco. Yeah, right. Yes. About yes. Yeah. <laughs> and like basically I gave the commencement speech at UCLA. He was graduating in that class. 
I approached the woman who invited me uh, to thank her. He was talking to her and I literally heard him bad-mouthing my speech and advocating for her to give him the chance to give that speech the following year. But, but why did he do that? I don't know, but he does that kind of stuff. So I, I wrote about it after he hosted the Oscars really poorly and a bunch of people were like, you, you're, just, you're just trying to get famous. You're just trying to this and that. And, and for me, it was like, fine, I need to let go of this story because I really, I really felt bad over, you know, to hear the most famous person there and, and uh, badmouth my speech. I wasn't prepared for the backlash because I didn't realize how viral the story would go. Um, so, so there were some people look at this minority woman, which is not even how I read the context yeah. of it. There, uh, like to me, it was just like that's just rude. <laughs> but there were some people like, look at this minority woman saying she's a victim. Like it, 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 get, it gets really out of control, and I, um, I kind of like hid under my sheets for a moment when I saw it go viral. Yeah. Um, but now you. you know, now I'm, you know, I've, I've I'm learning. Okay, if you're gonna. <laughs> use that you unfortunately have to also be ready to present a facts. case yeah. and facts yeah. yeah what do you think about people let's talk about like call for change on social media everybody's tweeting you know one thing that stood out for the me too movement is that people actually talked people mm -hmm. actually i mean the new york times did a brilliant you know um series of exposés talking to lupita and the rest of the actresses mm -hmm. and even just doing a thorough report on it yeah you know, um, and that's what like really made the movement strong. So the movement was taken offline, yeah. but like a lot of you know advocacy is pushed on social media, but kind of just stays there, and yeah. people don't do more than that. Yeah. You know, why do you think people don't do more than that? Do you think they really are down for the cause, or they just want to you know put it up on social media and leave? Yeah, there's. Um so when I wrote this the show, the Wall Street Journal, that sort of vanity hashtag activism was yeah. very big, and it was it was before Black Lives Matter got. To me, I feel Black Lives Matter is a very effective movement that went off of like a, for a movement to be successful, I think it has to have a great presence online and offline, and I feel like Me Too and Black Lives Matter are great examples of that. Uh, right before I left for Uganda, I felt like there were a lot of act armchair activists who stayed online, were not meeting with people face to face, were just picking fights with other activists to build their following exactly. and sort of like show off their guns, like, you know, yeah. their muscles, yeah. their, their arguing muscles online. And that was what was frustrating with me. And I was wondering if I was becoming guilty of that a little bit um, uh, because it is easier to 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 get addicted to having a huge following i mean we kind of have a guy in charge of the country right now <laughs> who was who kept talking more about his twitter following growing <laughs> after the election than the fact that no 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 you didn't just get 10 million new twitter followers you got a following of an entire country yeah that's yeah. <laughs> it's 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 um it's, it can be an addictive game. And I, I uh, in trolling this man, I, I gained 20,000 new followers and it was hard to not get drunk with power. Like, look at all this influence yeah. that I have. Yeah. So, um, so I think there's a little bit of that that plays into people just wanting to keep the fights online. It's just to, if you had 10 minutes with Trump in a room, what oh. would you tell him? Oh, what, what I don't think I can. To, what I, would you want to change? I'm going to get a lot him? of people fired if I... <laughs> Uh, I don't, I don't think he'll listen as a thing. So that's why I, pro no, I can't, I can't, <laughs> that you don't, no, I'm going to go to jail if I ever <laughs> told you what I would do in 10 minutes. So, 
<laughs> that's, that's, I'll keep it at that. But I don't think he listens. So I don't, I don't know really what the point would be. But I would try to snatch his phone <laughs> and disable his Twitter account. <laughs> that, would be, that would be quite yeah. interesting. Um, I see you're also very passionate about, you know, the recent, you know, shootings that happened yeah. in the U.S. What's your, your take on gun control? I, ugh, I don't have many views. Like, I, uh, something interesting happened after the election is, like, in San Francisco, there's no need for, for guns. In most urban cities, like, that, you don't, I don't, there's no good reason to have a gun in general. They kill, they, it's for killing. Or, or, or ruling by fear. So uh, the kind of guns that, that are, are being used at school shootings are not guns that um, the forefathers who created the, the Second Amendment yeah. thought about. Like Automatic a mus- rifles. A musket versus these AR-15s. magazine and bumps and yeah. all, these, all these crazy things. Um, so there's that distinction. I don't, I don't think that uh, human, any human being or American that's not in the military should have access to military-grade weapons. It's just great. That's crazy. I don't see any good reason to that. There need to be more checks to do that. If there, there's this phenomenon of teenagers eating Tide Pods, right? And there's now all this legislation to keep Tide Pods yeah. out of the market. Why can't we do the same thing with guns? <laughs> yeah. You know, like or if there's, no I heard there's regulation on, um, I mean, farm produce, some of the farm produce. After I think it was found out that some terrorists use some of the farm produce to weaponize, create like a weapon of explosions or something. So if there's, you know, um, if that is being regulated, then maybe Why guns should be, be regulated. regulated. But like some of this talk of like, let's arm teachers. I, I don't no, know. that's absolutely That's crazy. insane. That's crazy. <laughs> you don't think teachers lose it? Like I've seen teachers lose it. And I've seen I don't teachers cry. See them, yeah, I don't want to. I've been a teacher working with teenagers and I don't. I don't think you would want me to have a, a holster <laughs> and a gun. I'm a fairly reasonable person, and I know I should not have a gun because I don't want to think about that one moment where I make the wrong decision with it, right? And so think about all the people who are much more nuts than me yeah. who are able to, to get guns. It's, it's crazy, and, and we really just need to ban guns. Mm. Um, I don't know. A lot of people don't think it, it's possible, and they think there are all the other ways to get it, but don't need as many guns as we have for sure so why are you bringing Wong Street Journal to Lagos well when I was invited to represent America in the Lagos Theater Festival yeah um, I'm super excited to see how this reads to an African audience it's a very different we're in a very different corner than than where I made this show but um, I I just want to get feedback I, I I I want to know more about this continent. I spent such a small amount of time and made this show and have basically spent the last two years reflecting a lot and reading as much as I can. There's so many countries, obviously, to read about that, like, this is a fantastic opportunity to just, like, have conversations like I am with you, just just meet folks. And, um, I mean, a lot of the show in the last two years has been me... I, I don't see the show as me representing Uganda and teaching an audience about Uganda, but in a weird way... It will be the only, in, like the only exposure to Uganda that folks have, and so I've, I've had to take a lot of responsibility in, in in how I present it, and and I've understood how much Americans misunderstand this continent. And so, uh, while I don't want to be a spokesperson for Africa, obviously, I 
I want to represent to the people who know nothing about this continent, like all the amazing things I'm witnessing that they are not getting. That that feed and and that and to communicate to them that the, what they are getting has fed completely into racist ideas around Africa, which I think has translated into how Black Americans are read in yeah. America. Yeah. Right. I mean, and you know, um, you'd be so surprised of how you know the reaction and the response is going to be because. Even in Africa, Africans really, there's so many cultures mm -hmm. and, you know, we're really ignorant of, you know, other people's cultures yeah. because we don't have enough conversations, you know. So um, Nigerians might not thoroughly understand the Kenyan culture, mm -hmm. you know, Kenyans might thoroughly not understand the South mm -hmm. African culture. And I think it's with showcases and plays mm -hmm. like this, people actually understand like cultural nuances and contexts. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, culture is how I have, uh, even with inside America, you think, oh, you just, you live in the same cities that we should know about them. But no, I, I, it was only through watching people's one person shows that I got to understand people of different identities, different sexualities, um, and different cultures and understand how many similarities I, I had even as a Chinese American to them. Yeah. yeah. Have you gotten feedback from like Ugandans? Um, I have. Some have come and uh, uh, they, some have said, we wish it were longer or um, some have gotten no feedback. <laughs> I have had feedback from two Nigerians who saw it in, in Canada and oh, I asked like, how is this going to go over? And they, they were like, well, if it's middle class Nigerians, we think that they will get it. We'll get it. Yeah. You probably have, you probably have middle class at the show. Yeah. 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 So that's yeah. good. That's good. All right, so um, my last question is, has Jeremy Lin made that ah! call? No, no. Jeremy Lin, basketball player, he's not made contact with me. Doesn't mean, my whole philosophy is just because I've never met him doesn't mean I can't consummate our marriage. So <laughs> I'm still working on that. What do you think, what are your thoughts on marriage? Uh, well, I'm married to myself. Uh, I got married to myself at 30 because that's the age most women panic about not being married. Yeah, same here too. And I had to commit. <laughs> I had to. I had to commit to loving myself, which is really profound. And I really recommend that all women, actually everybody, yeah, like make sure you love yourself before you like don't don't have someone else do the job of loving you before if you don't like yourself. Um, marriage is a performance. It's a big. It's it's the, it's a very expensive theater show that uh, people come to the first act and they go, yay, bye. Yeah. And then, then you're on your own with no audience. Or maybe you have an audience. You get pr pressure from family. Uh, yeah, I think at this point they're just glad that I'm um, <laughs> not running around naked okay. on a webcam. But um, <laughs> I mean, my parents put a lot of pressure on me. And this, at this point, they're just like, oh, just, just don't do anything too stupid. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if marriage is in my, like a real marriage to another human being is in my cards. Um, but I'm, I'm just sort of happy to, to be living this life. It's like, I'm having such a great week that I'm like, this made all the freaking out about being unmarried in my 30s worth it. Like, <laughs> not that I had it like that you can't have both, but for some reason I couldn't have both. So, so, <laughs> so here I am. For every young girl listening right now, uh -huh. what's the one message you want to pass to them? Hmm. Um, God, every girl listening right now, uh, marry yourself. Yeah. Fall in love with yourself to be bold and be crazy. And, uh, yeah, I want to tell everyone to be a crazy person. 
a good crazy person. Mm -hmm. Run with your crazy. All right, great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, Christine. I'll probably think um, of a better answer after we turn off the mics. And yeah, go, it's yeah! fine. <laughs> <laughs> you can always send it to me. I'll put it up. Okay. But thank you so much. Thank, thank you so much you. for having this, this conversation awesome with conversation. me. Yeah. Um, I really, I mean, I enjoyed I it. I think we've united America and Nigeria. Yeah, and, finally. And Chinese and Nigerians yeah. all at once. Finally. One podcast. Finally. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is my Africa podcast. Mm -hmm.